Hello and welcome to The Woman Who. I'm Zowie Ashton, and in this series, I'll be bringing you the remarkable stories of Britain's most inspirational women of the last 140 years. These are the tales of the true pioneers of music, literature, the performing arts and fashion. Women who have defied convention, broken boundaries, and pushed the limits of what's possible. I'll be taking a deep dive into the lives of these trailblazers, reliving their struggles and setbacks, their loves and losses, and how they overcame every obstacle in their path to achieve unimaginable success. These women are the real deal, the true influencers of their day. And this is the tale of one of England's first female barristers, boundary breaker, champion of women's rights and tireless campaigner for justice, Helena Normanton. Helena was only 12 years old when she decided what she wanted to be when she grew up, a lawyer. This might be an unusual choice for a 12-year-old in any era, but it was all the more unlikely for a girl born in London in 1882, when women could not yet vote, let alone practice law. Helena's parents, William and Jane, had a very unhappy marriage. They separated when her younger sister was still a baby. Shortly after, William, a piano maker, was found dead near Paddington Station from a suspected suicide. Helena was only four years old. Jane was forced to find a way to support her two young daughters, so the family moved to Brighton, where Jane ran a boarding house in a small shop. From a young age, Helena had to help her mother care for her younger sister and earn money for the family, But despite their difficult situation and the stigma of single motherhood, Jane was determined that her daughters would receive a good education. One day when Helena was 12, she accompanied her mother to inquire about a mortgage at a solicitor's office. She watched as her mother sat, confused and anxious, unable to understand the complicated legal jargon. The solicitor noticed Helena's close attention and smugly told Jane, I am sure that your little girl understands what I have told you from the look on her face. He turned to Helena and asked her to repeat back his comments to her mother, which she did. Quite the little lawyer, he exclaimed. She was pleased with the praise but she was also struck by the condescending manner in which the solicitor had dealt with her mother. It lit a flame of outrage in the young girl that women could feel so helpless in the face of the law without the legal knowledge and respect that a man might command, a fire that would burn for the rest of Helena's life. She wanted to fight for the rights of women, and there was only one way to do it. 
she had to become a lawyer herself. It would be a long journey to achieve her dream, however. She was an exceptional student, despite the upheavals and financial hardships of her childhood. These hardships grew after her mother's death in 1900, when Helena was still a teenager, and had to find a way to support herself and her sister. And so she became a teacher. Training and working as a teacher in Liverpool, Glasgow, and then in London, she began to flex her activist muscles, joining the Women's Freedom League, a militant organization fighting for women's suffrage. She was also a talented speaker and writer and authored articles about everything from women's rights to her support for Indian independence. Though teaching was a respectable career for an educated lady, it did not satisfy Helena's radical politics or her intellectual ambitions. And so, in 1918, she applied to join Middle Temple, one of four inns of court, the institutions responsible for legal education, and the only way to become a barrister. None of the four inns had ever admitted a woman. They claimed they weren't legally allowed to, but they also didn't want the competition of women for limited paid legal work. Middle Temple rejected Helena's application immediately, but she would not be deterred so easily. She appealed her rejection, lobbied the government, and campaigned in the press for women's admission. And then, on the 23rd of December 1919, a new law changed everything for Helena. The Sex Disqualification Removal Act stated that women could not be barred by their sex or marriage from professions. On the 24th of December, she reapplied to Middle Temple. This time, they had to admit her. She became the first woman to join an inn of court and a few years later was among the first female practicing barristers in England. Helena went on to chalk up many more such firsts throughout her career. She would be the first female counsel to lead in a case at the High Court, the first woman to obtain a divorce for her client, the first to prosecute a murder trial, and one of the first two women made King's Counsel the most senior level of barrister. At every turn, though, Helena attracted press attention that was often salacious, sexist, or simply mocking her appearance in her barrister's attire. And even the positive coverage created trouble for Helena. After any praise from the press, she was accused of self-advertising, which was against the unwritten rules of etiquette for barristers. She even faced a disciplinary committee at Middle Temple after a magazine for teenagers highlighted her work in an article headlined Some Famous Women of Today, as if this had been a scheme by Helena to advertise her services. She knew that to achieve her goals, she would have to tread carefully with the press 
and ignore the male colleagues who still thought a woman barrister was a highly inappropriate concept. In 1921, she married an accountant named Gavin Watson Clark, the son of a Liberal MP. Even in this most private affair, though, Helena took a stand to advance the rights of women. She didn't want to be Mrs. Gavin Clark. She wanted to keep her maiden name for both professional and personal use, and became the first married woman to obtain a passport in her birth name. Anne Boleyn did not change her name, even though she married the king, Helena later observed with dark humour. He at least had the decency to leave her with her own name, even though he took her head. It was one of her most deeply held beliefs that marriage should be a partnership between equals, a radical concept at the time. In her own marriage, at least, she was satisfied. No woman ever had a happier marriage, she said of her husband. Our only quarrel was over the correct way to carve a salmon. Helena understood, though, how many married women were not as content as she. When she began her legal career, a woman could only divorce her husband if she could prove infidelity. Even if a husband were imprisoned for attempting to murder his wife, as happened to one of Helena's clients, it would not be considered grounds for divorce, unless she could prove he had an affair before he tried to murder her. This was the reality that drove her to work long hours and carry on in the face of a hostile press to secure freedom for her women clients trapped in terrible situations by antiquated and sexist laws. Helena received letters from all over the country, asking for her advice. So she published a book, Everyday Law for Women. In an attempt to help more women understand their legal rights, she never forgot the bewilderment of her mother in the meeting with a solicitor when she was 12 years old. Helena was on a lifelong quest to improve the legal standing of women, but also to educate women so they could protect themselves from injustice. Helena's legacy is one of a frustrated pioneer. She spent so many years and so much energy fighting to get a foot in the door and faced so much resistance once she did. Her work was often thwarted by the prejudices of her colleagues, clients, and judges. She was patronized and underestimated at every turn. Helena never achieved her dream of becoming a judge, and it was not until her late 60s that she was finally appointed King's Counsel. Each of Helena's many firsts, however, ensured that the next generation of women could pursue their legal careers without becoming a media spectacle in the process. Helena's life work helped to normalize the idea that women could not only be barristers, but exceptional ones at that. 
The Woman Who podcast series has been brought to you by Fennec, the UK's department store of distinction since 1882. Tune in each week to uncover the story of a new inspirational woman and head to fennec.co.uk for more info and celebrations on their 140th anniversary of empowering women through the circus of life. The Woman Who is a Radio Wolfgang production written by Hannah Jewell and read by me, Zowie Ashton. The producer is Kieran Carruthers, sound designers by Tony Onachuku, and the executive producer is Ellie DiMartino. Martino.